Welcome to another Sunday morning sermon from Marysville Christian Church. We're glad you're here joining us on this journey to learn more, love more, and look more like Jesus. We invite you to grab a cup of coffee and a Bible as we dive into God's Word. Those who watched how Jesus interacted with some of the unlovable people in his life probably were not any more shocked than ever when they saw him interact with a leper. The story of it is in Matthew chapter 8. Now, at that time, leprosy was considered a death sentence. It's an incurable disease that would eventually cost people their life because it affected their nerves so they couldn't feel anything. Like if they burned their hands, they couldn't feel it, they couldn't do anything about it. If they fell asleep and a rodent came in and started gnawing on their toes, they couldn't feel it. Eventually infection would set in, they couldn't feel that, and then the infection turns to sepsis. And yeah, that's why it ended up being a death sentence. The conclusion was, we have to keep away from those people, or rather, we have to keep those people away from us. And so lepers were forced into exile. They were quarantined for the rest of their life. It was the Bible's version of social distancing, I guess. They were forced to warn anybody that would come near by covering their mouth and calling out so they could hear them, Unclean! Unclean! Well, talk about your scarlet letter, right? Only it was a scarlet letter that spoke. Lepers, because of this, were never, ever to approach somebody. And yet, Matthew talks about one day, one of them just walked right up to Jesus, where he didn't belong and nobody thought he ought to be there. He just walked right up to Jesus. It tells about it like this in Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. Large crowds followed Jesus as he came down the mountainside. When suddenly a man with leprosy approached him and knelt down before him. Lord, the man said, if you're willing, you can heal me and you can make me clean. And don't miss what's happening here. Large crowds were following Jesus, and yet the story then shifts and becomes about one man with leprosy. In the middle of the large crowd, Jesus focuses on the one guy. Despite the crowds, Jesus chose to love the hard-to-love person, one at a time. Like I said, you ever been hard to love? Kind of wanted to wait until the kids went out to bring this up. This past week's just been awful in the news, hadn't it? With the events of Uvalde, Texas. And I'm not going to dwell on this because it's just, it's exhausting emotionally. But I want you to think in terms of what Jesus has done with this leper and what your reactions have been to the news that came out and came out and came out. 
Jesus loved hard to love people like like an 18 year old that probably didn't think he was loved by anybody and out of that anger and frustration and whatever other demons there were in him he decides to take that out on those who were the most vulnerable you mean we got to love somebody like him hard to love or what about his mom or the invisible dad that was nowhere to be seen you got to love that dad who disappeared in that guy's life or the mom who because apparently of her drug addictions she disappeared from his life you got to love her they're hard to love. Easy to blame, but hard to love. And then, I, and, and then my thoughts shifted to, what, a, what about the first responders? I mean, oh my gosh. The stories that are starting to come out about how many of them that were there and, and, and yet not there, and, and they were, we don't even know what yet. And there's plenty of anger to go toward those who, in some opinion, should have gone where others weren't able to go. But they didn't. It's hard to love people like that when you're angry at them. And when you're, like the governor of Texas, when you're given information that turns out to be not accurate, and, and you just went out there on TV with the best information you had at the time, and then you find out you look stupid because you find out later on it wasn't true, yeah, who told me that? Because I'm pretty upset with him. And yet, here it is whether it's Marysville, Ohio, or Uvalde, Texas. We all become people who are hard to love because, because of the choices we made at the time based on the best information we had at the time, even if it was wrong. Lepers like that are hard to love. And lepers like us who make, who make decisions and choices that other people may think are wrong and may in fact be awful, but it seemed right at the time to us, you start to get an appreciation for how much it meant for him to be loved by Jesus. You see, he knew enough about Jesus to know this. He knew that Jesus was able to do something, but what he didn't know is, was Jesus willing to do that for me, somebody that's hard to love? 
Kind of sounds like people that come to church sometimes, doesn't it? Well, I know church is supposed to be a good place. I know God's supposed to be a, a good thing. But is it good for me? Because maybe it hadn't always been good for me in the past. Maybe the ones who were supposed to be there for me were the very ones who ended up disappointing me most. See, because his question about, I know you can, but will you for me, says more about people who've treated or abused him in the past than it does about Jesus. And that certainly is still true today. And what happens next is just amazing. In Matthew 8, verse 3, it says, Jesus reached out and touched him. It's my understanding that the word in the original language that is translated touched literally meant to grab onto, to fasten onto. Jesus reached out and grabbed him. Okay, embraced sounds better, right? Whether it was by the shoulders or whether it was with two hands on him, or whether it was just in a big old bear hug that lifted him off of his feet. And he says to his face, I'm willing. Be healed. And instantly the leprosy disappears. There are plenty of research studies out there that indicate the positive response physically that our bodies have to appropriate and welcome human touch. Our body's chemical composition actually changes in a way that promotes healing, reduces stress, sometimes even reduces inflammation. Now there are others in this room, like not too far from me, that could give you a lot more qualified explanation of the specific details of the blessing of human touch. Imagine what it was like for somebody who'd been hard to love for way too long. To be embraced by the only one that he hoped could help him. I guess it's just another way of illustrating the spiritual truth. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Or in this particular illustration, while he was still a leper, Christ embraced him, grabbed onto him, latched hold of him. Or maybe in the application part of this, while he and we are still hard to love, Jesus loves us. But that was just typical, the way that Jesus was with people. When Peter's mother-in-law was sick, he touched her and healed her. He touched the blind man's eyes and restored his vision. And when children approached him, he touched them, lifted them up on his knee, gathered, around, uh, gathered them around him. That's just the way that Jesus was. Now granted, there were people that Jesus healed without touching them, like the soldier's son who was still sick at home. But maybe someone who's dealt with the stigma of being a leper 
like this guy, maybe he needed more than a physical healing. Maybe he needed that emotional reminder somebody still wants me. There's a guy named William Vanstone. We've got a picture of him here. Hang with me while I try to pronounce this. He wrote about the phenomenology. That's pretty close. I think I did it. He wrote about the phenomenology of love. It's another fancy way of saying there's a phenomenon in your life called love. And he explains the difference between false love and true love. Now, you and I have probably already understood this and explained it, maybe because of the people that are hard to love in our life. A false love is conditional love. You're willing to love the other person if you think their behavior is worthy of your love. A false love is conditional because you're willing to love them if they meet your needs, like if they make me happy, if they make me feel good, if I have a great experience when I'm together with them, as long as they do what I think they ought to do, then I'm willing to love them. But yet he says that's a false love because it expects something in return. By contrast to that, a true love, a godly love, is unconditional because it's willing well like it says of Jesus while we were still sinners Christ died for us a true love is willing to love somebody regardless of not because of I'm, I'm not sure. The last time I went through the card section looking for graduation cards and Mother's Day cards, I don't remember seeing a section in the greeting cards of, you're really hard to love, but. I think there's a market there for that. I don't know. Because I know there's a lot of us that would be getting cards like that. You see, Jesus loved the hard-to-love people one at a time. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. These are the words of Jesus. But then he goes on in Matthew 5, verses 44 through 46, to say it this way. I'm telling you this, you need to love your enemies. Love the people that are hard to love. Love the people, love the people that have disappointed you. Love the people that just raise your blood pressure. Why? Because Jesus puts this clarifier on it. If you only love those who love you, what good is that? What benefit is there? What blessing is there? What's the reward in that? So who's the hard to love person that you need to love? Again, don't shout out names. Maybe it's, maybe it was an abusive parent. Maybe it was a childhood bully. Maybe it's the kid that made you want to pull your hair out. Maybe it's the super critical spouse 
that probably became the X that broke you. You see, it's a challenge to love those people who approach life exactly the opposite that you would approach life. There was a video not that long ago. I, I get my fill quickly of all things Kardashian, but I couldn't help but get stuck on this one because it showed one of the Kardashian gals trying to slice a cucumber. And somebody, see, she knows, right? <laughs> it's ridiculous, wasn't it? Somebody should have called 911. It was so bad that when her mom saw it, she called their chef and sent the chef over to cut the cucumber because she was afraid she was going to cut her hand off. But some people are like that. They approach life exactly the opposite. Instead of doing it top to bottom, they do it you know, bottom to top or side to side or whatever. And there are people like that. Good night. I've been like that. Where the way that I do it, because it seems to me like the best way to do it at the time, is exactly the opposite of what everybody else in the world thinks is the smart way to do it. Kind of like the first responders in Uvalde, where everybody else in the world is saying, well, clearly this is what you should have done. Well, at the time, it made sense to them, or at least somebody there. So if you have to choose somebody to love that's hard to love, Maybe the better question is not who, but how. How can I love the hard-to-love person? Again, one of the reasons why we try to learn more about Jesus is so that we can love more like Jesus. And there's a great illustration of that that continues on about how to love somebody that's hard to love in John chapter 4 as he meets this woman in the middle of nowhere at a well and she's from Samaria. He'd been traveling. The disciples that were walking with him went into town to get something to eat. He sits down by the well, probably on the shady side of it, just to get a break. And this woman makes her way to the well in the middle of the day. Now, in that culture, men didn't talk to any women in public, even their wives. Don't say a word, guys. Just <laughs> zip it, okay? But most, most men would have avoided this woman because of who she'd been and who, as far as they knew, she still was. You see, this woman in John 4 was a hard-to-love woman. And Jewish men, like Jesus, have been taught their whole life, you need to avoid people like this, and especially if they're Samaritans. Now, we have all kinds of reasons why we try to avoid awkward encounters with people that are hard to love. Like, hey, you know, it's just not a good time. Or, I'm not in a good place right now. Or, well, you know, I, I don't know them. I don't know anything about them. I don't know what I would say to them. They're, they're probably not interested. They, they probably got more questions than I've got answers. 
I just don't want to. But notice how most of our reasons revolve around us instead of them. You see, we don't change people or fix them. God is the one who is at work in their heart. We're simply co-workers with God. We sow the seed, and God's the one who makes it grow. Our job, and I'm just fessing up, this is hard for guys, okay? Well, it's hard for women too, but for different reasons. Our job is to let our compassion for hard-to-love people overcome our excuses. And it's that compassion thing that usually messes up guys. And, and, and for others, the idea of compassion is only about as good as they've been treated. Because if you do me dirty, I'm going to remember it since junior high, and I ain't ever going to give you another chance again. But based on where Jesus was and where he was going, when he says in John 4, verse 4, that he had to go through Samaria, it wasn't because GPS got screwed up. It wasn't a geographical issue about why they had to go through Samaria. The typical route would have been for them to go around Samaria through, on a path through Perea. Look it up if you want, but it wasn't necessarily the straightest route. But you see... Maybe, just maybe, Jesus felt compelled to go through Samaria because God had nudged him like he does us. You felt that, right? That push in the back or maybe the kick in the pants every now and then from God? Have you ever asked God to nudge you? in the direction that he needs you to go, towards someone that he knows has been hard to love but needs to have some kind of compassion shown to them? You see, the Apostle Paul understood what that felt like, that nudge. He says in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14 and 15, Christ's love compels us. That's that nudge. That's that squeeze of the heart. That's that conscience that makes you turn around and go back to where you just came from and you don't know why. Christ's love compels us because we're convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And then he gets more specific in verse 15. Christ died for all so that those who live, and here's the nudge part of it, should no longer live for themselves. They ought to. They should. They need to be nudged to live for Him who died and was brought back to life for them. You see, people who live for Christ instead of themselves are people who are compelled to love those hard-to-love people. Because we know what it is to be hard to love. 
And we're grateful for Jesus teaching us how to show compassion to people that have been hard to love. But that was stupid what they did. They couldn't have been more wrong in what they didn't do. I can't believe anybody in their right mind would. Yeah, those people. Those people. What else can I learn from Jesus about loving hard to love people? Well, in, in verse 6 and 7, it says Jacob's well was there. I'd mentioned that briefly earlier. Jesus was tired from his long trip. He sat down beside the well. It was about noon. And a Samaritan woman came to the well to get some water. And Jesus said, could I get a drink? Now, if it's the Middle East and it's noon, I don't want to be anywhere near where there's not shade. And nobody else does either. Which explains how tired Jesus must have been or how much he just needed a break from people. Maybe some peace and quiet from hearing the disciples argue and bicker between each other. You know, James and John were always at each other. And then you throw in Peter in his mouth and it's gasoline on the fire. He probably knew that if he went into town, he'd end up dealing with a whole crowd of people again, so he just stayed put while the disciples went in to see if they could find something to eat. He was probably surprised to see somebody show up to get water at that time of day. But honestly, she was probably just as surprised as he was to see somebody else there. It's like grocery shopping at 3 a.m., you may see people, but you're not expecting anybody that you know. And after a brief, casual conversation, Jesus asks her about her husband. Not an unusual thing in casual conversation. Hey, tell me about your family. And she tells him, oh, I'm not married. And that's when Jesus kind of calls her out in verse 18. He says... You've already been married five times, and the man that you're now living with isn't your husband. Again, awkward conversations, right? And we understand why she'd come to the well, because she probably didn't think anybody would be there. She's tired, so tired of the whispers and the stares and maybe even the verbal attacks. I, I really want you to get this. So that you move this from just another nice little Jesus story to what it's like to live with the whispers and the stares. Imagine what it's like to be a first responder in a small town in Texas where everybody knows everybody. And everybody's convinced you messed up. You should have. And you didn't. Don't you dare show your face around here. How dare you come to my baby's funeral? What, what do you suppose it's going to be like the next time they go to Walmart? 
What time do you suppose they'll go? Some equivalent of noon in the Middle East, probably. And I'm not even talking about whether the right decision or the wrong decision was made. I'm talking about how you know as well as I know what their life is going to be like. They'll probably end up quitting their job and moving because they just can't deal anymore. And that's where this woman was. J. Vernon McGee made this observation. She may have not have been popular with the women in town because she was real popular with the men in town. But whatever her story was, her life changed directions five times. Because five different times, men had promised and given their word to her. And five different times, that promise had been broken. Regardless of whose fault it was, each marriage ended in disappointment, just like every marriage now ends in disappointment. Whether it's their fault or whether it's my fault, it ends in disappointment and disillusionment. And that happened not once, not twice. You know, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Okay, how about five? I think it stopped before it got that far. She was all too familiar with rejection. You talk about trust issues. No wonder she's hard to love. And yet Jesus' acceptance of her without condemnation opens the door to influence with her. See, and that's really the point. Hard to love people crave to know they're accepted. That's why Paul would write what he did in Romans 15 verse 7. Accept one another. And he's writing to people in the church. He's writing to Christians. And he's telling people that go to church with each other, you need to accept each other because that's how Christ accepted you. When God puts people in your life, there may be things that would ordinarily drive you away from them. There may be things about their past. It may be things about your present that tempts you to just kind of pretend you don't see them. To look for another pew on the other side of the room. But Jesus never avoided anyone because isolation never creates opportunity. And when you're talking about not just why I should love or who I should love, but how I should love, man, this pushes me. How about you? Because there are plenty of those hard-to-love people in my life that I am perfectly happy with never seeing again. How about you? And yet, Jesus knows that when it comes to how to love hard-to-love people, isolation never creates an opportunity to do just that. And I want to think about that next time you give them the silent treatment. Because they did something stupid or made you mad. 
Hard to love people still need somebody to talk with them. And Jesus shows us that loving, hard-to-love people starts with doing just that, talking to them. He starts the conversation with a simple question. How about something to drink? He didn't start out by making a bold statement. He didn't start out with an accusation or making demands. He simply starts out with a natural question that shows you think that they've got something to offer to the conversation. And then he intentionally shifts that conversation from something very superficial to something spiritual. It went from, can I get a drink, to what God was doing in their life. In, in verse 10 of John 4, he says, if you only knew the gift that God has for you. And this woman is probably thinking, great, another person trying to buy me off. If you only knew the gift that God has for you and who you're speaking to, you'd ask me and I'd give you living water. But those who drink the water that I give will never be thirsty again, he says in verse 14. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. See, you don't have to be an obnoxious jerk about it. You just have to make a natural transition from the superficial to the spiritual. And Jesus helps her see that the spiritual in her life is something that's personal. And relevant. Where's your husband? Pain can lead somebody to ask for help when ordinarily they would not ask for help. Pain can make us seek answers when ordinarily we aren't going to accept help from anybody. And yet, faith comes because we believe that God knows, God cares, and God is at work. And when we believe that God knows, God cares, and God is at work, that creates hope. And that's exactly what hard-to-love people need. But know this, hard-to-love people have hard-to-answer questions. And that's what she throws to Jesus. Verse 20 of John 4, why is it that you Jews, don't miss the emphasis there, insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship? While we Samaritans, nothing like dividing the room right away, right? And yet that's the, that's the hard edge that she's got because that's the hard edge that's been given to her over the course of five different marriages. We Samaritans claim that it's, it's here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors have worshipped. Also, now it's not just what we're doing. You're insulting my whole family too. Jesus wants to help restore her faith in men and maybe even in God. And all she wants to do is debate. But he doesn't back away from truth. Instead, he focuses on that big picture of who God is and what it means to worship him. Now, many of those questions that they'll have, many of the questions that she had, were the same questions that we wrestle with. How can you believe God? How can you believe in a God who allows suffering? Suppose there's anybody in Texas that might be asking that on Sunday morning this week. Why should I trust the Bible? Why are there so many hypocrites? Hard questions. And no, I don't always know ahead of time or even in the middle of it if I've said the right thing. 
But we do have this promise that Jesus makes in Mark 13, verse 11. Don't worry ahead of time about what you'll say. Just say what God brings to your mind at the time. It's not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. The good news is that God knows what they need to hear from you at that point in their life. Because people that are hard to love people are frequently people who've been broken by life and they need to know, they need to know they've been heard and they need to know that you're being honest with them. That's how God can change the heart of hard to love people. One at a time. John would go on to tell us the story how the woman went back into town and she told everyone that she met that she met a man who told her everything about her life. And I can imagine that the eyes began to roll and, and the lips began to purse and the, and the, the whistle started about, oh, how long did that take? But she simply asked them a question. Could this be the Messiah that God's promised? And then all she says after that is simply this, come and see. And the story ends like this in John 4, verse 42. Then they said to the woman, now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because what we heard from him ourselves. Now we know that he indeed is the Savior of the world. Now, okay, yeah, yay, Jesus. But, but remember this. The story here later plays out in Acts 8 when a guy named Philip is preaching to Samaritans in Samaria. And it says there's a great crowd of people there that believe his preaching about Jesus as the Messiah and they're being baptized as evidence of their belief. But that revival didn't start with Philip. It started one hot day at noon beside one well in one conversation with one woman and one man called Jesus who one story at a time made her believe again that there was hope. So I've got a couple of questions for you while we wrap up. So this will probably be a decent time. David, why don't you in a praise team join me back up on stage. If you want to know how to love hard to love people, if you want to know how to have compassion toward hard to love people, ask yourself this to start with. How has God loved me? Because I've been pretty hard to love too. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, God showed His great love for us, here's how, by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. While we were still opposite of what God wanted. While we were still against where God needed us to be. He didn't love us because we always had been so easy and cute and adorable and young and pretty. No, that's not how God loves us. God loves us in spite of what we've done and who we've become because of that. God's love for us is both the model and the motivation for us to love the hard-to-love people in our life. 
That's why John would say it this way in 1 John 4, verse 19, we love because he first loved us. The way to grow in our ability to love others is first to experience God's love in your life. That means let him love you. Did you ever go to greet somebody or say goodbye after you've been together for a while and you go to give somebody a hug and a, 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 a few inches away from that embrace, you get the idea, oh, this isn't going well. They don't, they're not huggy people. You, you know those people, right? You, you had that experience of hug, hugging a cactus or a fence post. Happened to us just the other night. Uh, family gathering and it's like okay this is awkward but don't be like that with God let God love you because the more you let God love you the more willing you are to love some other cactus some other fence post the better we get at loving the hard to love excuse me the better we get at accepting his love, the better we'll be at loving the hard to love in our life. Here's the second question. What would it be like to be the one who's hard to love? Kind of talked about that with various very real scenarios in evolving. Stop obsessing about your life and your feelings and ask yourself this. What's it like to be them? What's it like to grow up with an abusive parent who's never satisfied and for whom nothing is ever good enough? What's it like to discover that your spouse is cheating on you again? What's it like to go through divorce the fifth time? What's it like not to be able to trust your own family because of their addiction? What's it like... You get the idea. C.S. Lewis made this observation. To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. I'd ask you and leave you with this. Am I willing to love, hard to love people? Thank God He is. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If you'd like to learn more about Marysville Christian Church and connect with us, be sure to go to our website, marysvillechristian.org. If you are near the Marysville area, we would love to have you join us on Sunday morning. We have our Bible study classes at 9 a.m. and our regular worship service is at 10 a.m. Our address is 17,000 Waldorf Road, Marysville, Ohio, 43040. Our phone number is 937-642-9838. Email is office at barrysvillechristian.org.